<coughs> so, first of all, thank you to Reb Ruvin Halevi. Tonight is the first yard site of Reb Avram Ben um, David Halevi. And um, for those of you watching online, um, make sure you have some good bagels and locks because that's what we got here. Individually wrapped, cream cheese, locks, bagels, vegetables, all good stuff. Okay, so the topic for today is the mechitza. Mechitza in shul, mechitza for weddings, for shavabrachas, for functions, for dinners, etc. Now, we know that the separation that Torah demands that we have from um, shall we say lustful thoughts um, is very strict. The Torah wants us, Hashem wants us to really maintain a very high level of holiness and um, that any any form of uh, so any any form of sexual thoughts or anything should be only within the um, context of holiness and marriage, um, etc. So, this is a notion which doesn't really exist in secular society. In secular society, you could think whatever you want. As long as you don't act in those thoughts, then uh, secular society sees no value in maintaining holy thoughts. But the Torah wants us to be um, very, very holy. Um, and... We see this in the very strict laws of yichud, of seclusion of man and woman being in the same room, in the same house together. And we find in the Gemara that talks about that, even how the very, very um, holy, righteous people, pious people were extremely careful about the laws of yichud. And specifically, we find that at times of simcha, at times of joy, that there is a stronger uh, risk, if you will, that people will be lax. That's the nature of being happy. People, when you're when you're celebrating, you sort of loosen your guard. And there's even more. Um, there's even more uh, need for extra precautions. And we find the famous Rambam, which is even quoted in Shulchan Aruch. I don't know that anybody ever actually did this, certainly in recent history, but it is quoted in Shulchan Aruch, that um, on Yom Tif, it's the responsibility of the rabbis, of the Bezdin, to send around gar- um, like policemen to people's homes to make sure that the indulgence on Simchas Yom Tif and in inviting guests, etc., is not leading to inappropriate frivolity. Um, similarly, we have the, the, the minhag, which we've discussed this in the past, the minhag to fast on Bahab, Monday, Thursday, and Monday, to have three fasts after uh, Yom Tif, after Sukkot and Tishrei. It's not a very common practice nowadays, and the Rebbe actually addressed that once. The Rebbe said that, don't, by and large, we don't do it nowadays, although there are a few individuals who the rabbi did say they should do it. But um, to fast on three fast days after Sukkot and after Pesach 
is because Sukkot and Pesach is a time of celebration where there's a risk that perhaps we um, overindulged, specifically um, referring to thoughts, to, to, our, to our thoughts, and therefore um, uh, that's a time to fast to sort of rectify that. Um, the Gemara says in Kedushin um, that um, Abaya, what, 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 when there was, when there was, uh, we'll get back to this Gemara in the context of the Mechitza, but just to bring out the notion of Yamtiv, the Gemara says that Abaya Dayer Gulfi Rav Dayer Kana. This is in Kedushin Daf Peyalaf Amidalef. That Abaya, when there was a place where men and women would get together, either for a drasha, for a presentation, for a speech. Or for a chuppah, so Abaya would put um, jugs or pitchers of, of earthenware in between them, in a way that if anybody tried to cross the line between the men and the women, it would make a noise, and then he wouldn't be able to smuggle by unnoticed. That's what Abaya did. Rava was Dairkonda. He would also make some sort of barrier with uh, poles or something again. To make sure people wouldn't be able to cross by. And then the Gemara says, Sak for the Shatarigla, which means that the low point of all the whole year, in terms of Yichud, of people, men and women being in seclusion together, and Avera, and perhaps going even further than that, is on Yamtif. The most regular the days of Yamtif, where there's men and women who get together to listen to the Drushas, and they interact with each other, or the way Tosis says it, that they look at each other. And uh, this is why, says Tosis, it's the custom to fast after Pesach and Sukkot. Now, so that's just sort of a general introduction where we see the importance of um, uh, of, of making barriers, uh, of maintaining sanctity, and 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 then of course of making barriers um, to help protect those gedarim. Um, now, what about the actual mechitza? So. Let's go down and sort of in the historical, in, in the order of history, and see how the whole mechitza thing works. The first reference to the mechitza, to the notion of a mechitza, um, as we know it, um, is in the Gemara in Sukkah. We know that in the Beis HaMikdash, there was the Simchat Beis HaSheva, there was a tremendous celebration, um, and Every night of Cholamayat Sukkot, they would come and they would dance and celebrate. And the Mishnah says that they would make a tikkun gadol, that they made a tremendous um, repair. What was the repair? So the Gemara says the story is like this. Turn around, and this is in Sukkot Afnon Aleph Originally, the men, the women were on the inside, and the men were on the outside. So they was they were standing. The men and the women were standing separately but they were inside and outside. And they would come to frivolous behavior. So then they said, let's switch this around. Let's put the men on the inside and the women on the outside. But that still didn't help. So then they instituted that the women would sit on top and the men would sit on the bottom. So basically, and that to that end, they built a gazustra. They built a big porch in the as their balcony in the as nashim, big balcony in the as nashim, and the women would go up on the balcony, and the men would be on the floor. And this way, they 
that this was the Tikkun Gadol, this was the great repair that they made, which put an end to um, unwanted behavior. And don't forget, this is like, it's a time of joy, so it's a time when people are celebrating, which is more thing, but it's in the Beis HaMikdash. This is not just like a bunch of... Uh... So the Gemara says, hey, how were they allowed to add um, a, a, a balcony to the plans of the Beis HaMikdash? David HaMelech says that every detail of the building, of the structure, of the design of the Beis HaMikdash was by divine inspiration. So you're not allowed to just add something onto the Beis HaMikdash because you felt like it. Omarav Krash Kuchvedorish. The Rav says that the 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 Chachamim who instituted the building of this port of this balcony um, expounded a verse which allowed them to do so. The Gemara, the pasuk says, "V'softa ha'aretz mishpachas mishpachas levad mishpachas mishdavid levad unashem levad." Is this talking about um, in the time to come, in the time of Mashiach? And it's after the war of Goygomogig, and it says that the everyone will be engaged in eulogizing, in eulogizing, and it will be every family separate. And then it says the family of David will be separate, and then why? And the women will be separate. So the the men and women. This is talking about a eulogy happening in the time to come, and we're saying that the the, the men and the women of the of the Davidic dynasty will be eulogizing separately. Amru, so they said, they, referring to those Chachamim who instituted the construction of the balcony, this is a Kalvachayma. Kalvachayma means we, uh, the accurate translation of English is a fortiori argument, where it's, you take one, one scenario from, you take a circumstance from one scenario and you apply it to an even more extreme case. So we say, here, there's two reasons why you would think it's not necessary for the fat men and women to separate. Number one, it's a time of eulogy, where it's a time when people are sort of in a more serious and uh, mourning atmosphere, not necessarily one type of atmosphere that lends itself to um, intermingling. And second of all, it's talking about the time to come when there's no Yitzhahara, where, where we, you know, we're elevated, we're inspired, we're holy. Nevertheless, I'm not that men and women have to separate. So, certainly now, when in meaning in the time of the celebration of the in Sukkot, in, of the Simchas Beis Sheva, where both of those factors are missing. Number one, it's a time of celebration, so that's the opposite. And number two, we're not yet in the era of Moshiach when there's no Yitzhahara. So, certainly, um, we need to make sure that the men and women, women are separate. And this was used as grounds to add a balcony to the, to the structure of the base of Mikdash, even though everything in the base of Mikdash is divinely inspired. They used this as a basis to allow them to change the, 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 the structure, to add to the structure. It's interesting to note, I, I, the truth is, I must confess, I have not studied this Gemara with all the commentaries on it, and I'm sure that much of this might be addressed over there. But um, there's another issue with, there's another, besides adding to the building, there's another reason why, another reason why building the balcony was problematic, and that is that it was made out of wood. Um, and there's a law that you're not allowed to have any wood, any exposed wood um, built into the, in the base of Mikdash. Um, because the wood, it's sort of a, 
connected to the law of Asherah, of trees which were used as um, for idolatry. Anyway, um, so the Rambam asks, how how were they allowed to? No, the Rivet. The Rivet asks, how were they allowed to build this balcony? Surely you're not allowed to build wood, a uh, wooden structure. And in one place he answers that it was because it was a temporary. It was only there um, on Sukkot. It wasn't there year round. But anyway, so that perhaps feeds into this. Anyway, so that's the source in Gemara for the notion of a mechitza. Now, where else do you have the notion of the mechitza come up? So it's not, again, there's no Gemara that talks about you have to have mechitza. This is the only, the Gemara in Sukkot about Sukkot Space Hashem. Then, much later on, you have the Mardchai. The Mardchai is a Rishon. So, um, I don't know, let's say going back approximately a thousand years now. And he, it, it, it comes up, by the way, he's talking about um, the Maharam, the Maharam Rotenberg, who used to, he had a, like a one room uh, a room that he lived in, which he would sleep in, and he had Svarim, he had holy books in there. But at night, he also had to, he, they didn't have bathrooms, so he had to do whatever his, his, his to, to use the facilities, he had to do it in, his, in, the, in the bedroom. But it's not respectful to do it in front of the books, so he would build a mechitza. He would build a division, a, a separation, a curtain of some sorts between himself and the books, and that would allow him to do to do what he had to do. So the Mordechai says that that was all week round. On Shabbos, you're not allowed to build such a mechitza on Shabbos, so he would build it before Shabbos, and he had a whole contraption. It would be only hanging down a little bit, and then after Shabbos, it would hang all the way down. And in that context, he says that it, he gets into discussion about which type of mechitzas are you allowed to build on Shabbos and which are you not allowed to build on Shabbos. So he says that if you're doing something, if the reason you're making your mechitza is because you need this to be a separate domain, then that's considered a sort of a real act of building and that may not be done on Shabbos. But if you're doing it for what he calls the tzniyat be'alma, just to, for, for privacy or, or uh, you know, for something like that, then that you are allowed to do on Shabbos. And the example, one of the examples he gives for that is that if you have a drasha and uh, men and women are both coming to the drasha, and uh, so you need to put up a mechitza between them there, you don't need them to be in separate domains, you just need to be some division between the men and the women. So that would be allowed, you would be allowed to build that on Shabbos. Okay, so there, th this is a reference which is already mentioned in Shulchan Aruch and Shabbos, again, not in the context of davening or weddings or anything like that, but sort of mentioned, by the way, that there is this concept of building a mechitza, erecting a mechitza between men and women when they come together for a drasha, which is kind of already alluded to in the first Gemara, we quote him in Kedushan about the Bayan Rava who would put these reeds or these uh, barrels, whatever it was, um, to separate between men and the women for one of the examples is Rashi says by the Rashi. Okay. Now, then there's a source in Sefer Chassidim. Now, Sefer Chassidim is very interesting because Sefer Chassidim is a Sefer from very early Rishoni Ashkenaz, the Ashkenazi, um, the Ashkenazi Rishonim who, it's a book of pious behaviors. And some of the things in that book you, most people have never heard of. It's it's a book that has uh, more than a thousand chapters. Each chapter could be just a few lines, 
of uh, you know do, do this don't do this this is appropriate it's not appropriate and really that there's many things in that book that nobody's ever heard of or that quote nobody does and there's many things that are that are practiced there are many things that are practiced but not exactly the way the Sefer says to practice them um, and really what makes it a break is it is is this quoted later on by 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 Pasuk, by by other halachic authorities? Um, just by virtue of the fact that it says something in Sefer Chassidim, that in and of itself doesn't necessarily dictate that that's actually the way we do it. But if later on the Paskim quote a certain piece from the Sefer Chassidim, so then that sort of made it into the corpus of halacha. So is, is that the right word? So um, so. Uh, so then it becomes, quote, more relevant. So I'll read to you the piece of Sefer Chesidim, it's in Shimon Shimon the Gimel, he says like this. It says, he quotes the Pasuk from Divrei HaYomim, there's beauty and splendor before him, and there is strength and celebration, Chedva means happiness, celebration, in his place. So Hashem, celebration and Hashem are connected. This is why when we are in a celebration, we say the word shahasimcha bimainai that um, the celebration is in his edifice, in his home. So this is why we say shahasimcha bimainai in the time of um, celebration, which indeed is our practice when we have a chasna or sheva brachas. Before we start benching, we say nevarech alikeno shahasimcha bimainai shahachalna mishaloi that we bless. Hashem, whose simcha is in his, again, in his home, because of this pasuk, now, the pasuk says, Gilu we should rejoice with trepidation. In other words, the, the, the simcha, the celebration of a Jew, has to come together with, and in an atmosphere of Yerash Shamayim, of fear of heaven. So he says like this: Whoever says has to first determine whether or not they we are also in fulfillment of this notion of of celebrating with trepidation. If a person marries a wife who's not such a great sadekus, not a good person, if a woman marries a man. The man is not uh, something so, so special. They're both not good. Or if there is uh, nivel pe means um, inappropriate uh, words, in other words, uh, yeah, um, between them. Or that the men are sitting, the women are sitting in between the men. Which means that there are thoughts. That means that the men are thinking thoughts and appropriate thoughts about the women. So you can't say that the that that Hashem has celebration if it's at a time when the when the men and women are sitting together and um, perhaps the men's thoughts are not so holy. Then he brings um, other verses that describe uh, not good behaviors. Okay, so basically, the Sefer Chassidim is saying that well, you should not say when the nature of the celebration isn't absolutely in line with um, Torah values. And one of the examples he gives is men and women sitting mixed together.
Now, like I said, the Sefer Chassidim in and of itself doesn't necessarily become so binding, but we do find that later on the Poskim do quote the Sefer Chassidim with slight variations. So the Sefer Chassidim itself spoke about men, the women sitting in between the men, which seems to imply that they're sitting intermingled. Um, the Sefer Minhagim of Isaac Turner quotes it as that the men and women are sitting in a way that they can see each other. So that seems to be an even more um, strict um, thing that if men and women are sitting together and Shema Brachas in a way that they can see each other, you shouldn't say Shasim Chavim Um And it's also quoted later, the Bach brings it, that he says in, in, in Krakow, which is a city the Bach lived in, they, they, he says they don't say Shasim Chavim and I don't understand why, but maybe it's because the men and women are sitting together. Um, now, the it's brought by the Beishmol, which is also a uh, Halachic posik. Anyway, this is also quoted by the Lavush. And the Lavush quotes the Sefer Chassidim. Um, he quotes it as does the Rabbi Isaac Turner that um, in a place where men and women can see each other, you should not say because there's no simcha in front of Hashem when there is your thoughts of Avera. And he says, but we, we're not, we, I see people not being careful about this. In other words, the Lavush is saying, that he has seen people say even at a Shema Brachas where the men and women could see each other. So as Lavush, maybe the reason is that now it's more common for men to be, for women to be around the men. And therefore people are not so influenced by thoughts of Avera because, and he quotes a Gemara that says it's like white ducks. In other words, we're so used to women being among us that we don't get all excited every time you see a woman. Um, and so he sort of, to some extent, is giving justification to the custom that people do say Shastim Chavimayinoy even when there is no, um, the, the, the men and women are sitting together, or at least in a way that they can see each other. And he references the fact that once upon a time, the notion of Kol Kvudu Basmelech Panima that the, the appropriate, the, the way of a Jewish woman, a Jewish princess is to stay home. And, you know, the Rambam talks about a woman leaving the house once a month. So at the time when those type of standards were upheld and men, for the most part, were never really exposed to, to seeing women outside of their families. So we could imagine that sitting at a Shavabrachus where the men can see the women could have been a big trigger. Whereas nowadays when... Um, things are different and men see women all the time. You go in the streets, you drive, you walk, you go shopping, there's always women around. So of course, it, it shouldn't take this the wrong way. Of course, it's still the obligation of every man that is faced with temptation all the time. And obviously different circumstances that can be more tempting than others. And it's the obligation of every man to guard his, to guard his eyes and to guard his thoughts and to, to, to do his best to make sure to, 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 to every time, if you notice, uh, if you, when you notice that it's an appropriate thought, like the says in Tanya, right away, you push it away. But at the same time, we don't have mechitzas going down the streets. We don't have separate streets for men and women, right? So we also don't say going down the street, right? So there is this notion of when it's a time of simcha and you want to thank Hashem for that Hashem is, Hashem is the simcha belongs together with Hashem, so to speak. Then we have to be extra careful that it's a time of now, I'm 
so, so practically speaking, when it comes to the simcha, to, to simcha, to chasna, to shav brachas, what do we do with this? It, it, and it can be twisted or, or can be taken many ways. Certainly, um, and I should point out that even the the Bach, the Lavush, many of these Paskim, they're not decrying the fact that men and women are sitting together. They're just saying that if they're sitting together, you shouldn't say, So you do say, So the Vush says, you do say some some people do say shasimchamayna even though they are sitting together. Lamaisa nowadays, I have never been by a shava brachas where we don't say shasimchamayna even if there's no mechitza. Um, so it seems that the lavush, the, the custom that the lavush was trying to justify, it's important to realize that um, not all, not a, there's there's saying what should be done and justifying a prevalent custom. The lavush is justifying a prevalent custom. So it seems that that custom, which the Levush is justifying, does seem to, to still be prevalent. Although I have seen, and uh, personally I try to do this myself also, if that if I'm offered to bench at such a Sheva Brachas, I try to turn it down, and I've seen other rabbis and chassidim do this, because a Sheva Brachas ought to have a Mechitza, um, and, um, and there should be, the men and women should be sitting separately, and... If they're not sitting separately, ideally there should be, you shouldn't say asimchamaynoism, perhaps try and avoid the situation. Now, there's a big difference between, you know, we spoke about sitting mixed together, sitting in the way that they could see each other, and inappropriate behavior. There's no question, we don't need a class on the laws of mechitza and to analyze all the shittas, that when you, whenever you make a shavu brachas or any other get-together, you have to make sure that it's done in a sneeristic way, that the men and the women should be sitting in a sneeristic way, that men and women from, certainly if they're not from the same family and acquaintances, which is often the case by Shefer Brachas, that there shouldn't be frivolity and, and, and inappropriate behavior. That goes without saying. The question is, you know, do we make sure that they can't see each other? Do we just make sure that they're not mixed together? And another very big difference is, is this a big Shefer Brachas for the whole community? Or is just just, a Friday night family Sheva Brachas where you have another three people to, f- to fill the minion. So there's a lot of room, th- 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 there is a lot of gray area. Um, certainly, I think it's, um, it's interesting because in Chicago, it seems to be less so. In other places in England and in New York, my personal experience, again, I haven't sort of done an extensive survey, is that it certainly is the custom uh, in Lubavitch that the men and women should there should be a mechitzo. They should be sitting in separate rooms um, for the shavu brachas. In line with all of this, I have been to some places where there's men and women are sitting all together, and then for benching they say, "Okay, men come here, women come here," and they put a mechitzo so that we could say some women. I have seen that. To me, that's it seems a little strange because the, if the whole idea is that you want to celebrate in a holy way, and only when you celebrate in a holy way. Do you say So to say we're celebrating the way just that's convenient or that men and women sit together. And then um and then okay, so we want to say we're gonna put it, it seems a little bit it seems strange for me, that's all I'll say. Um again, I've seen it be done, but it doesn't seem to add up to me. Um the bottom line is as far as that is concerned, um 
it's 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 a little bit subjective. And of course, it's not just about a shavuot. It's not about a bar mitzvah. What about an upshe? What about a bris? Certainly, the 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 way the, the the best the best way to do these things is that you always whenever there's a time of celebration, you should always have a mechitza with men and women um, being separated, um, ideally in a way that they can't see each other, but certainly certainly separate seating. That's uh, that, that that's certainly required. But uh, if there could be mechitza, it's certainly better, and that's certainly the the practice in uh, Hasidic circles. Sometimes there's a need to be more lenient when it's a uh, you know, the Chabad house crowd, or you have none from family, and as it is, things are strained, and you, you want to make it extra. So, you know, whatever the various scenarios are, there may be certain room for leniency, and it's subjective, and it should always be done based on the guidance of local um, community leaders and the rabbis, Mashpim, who understand um, the complexities and the, the needs of the situation. Um, Yeah. Okay. Now, noticeably absent from the whole discussion heretofore is mechitzas in shul. There doesn't seem to be any reference in all the sources that we've quoted until now about a mechitza for davening. Now, the truth is that historically, it's it's always been the case. If you go, you look through old shuls, and uh, it's always been the case that either the shul didn't have any section for women. That, that certainly there were many shuls like that. Or if they did. It was a, there was a mechitza, it was a separate room, it was upstairs, it was downstairs in some shuls. Um, it was done in a way, I remember the shul that my, my, my grandparents lived in, my mother's originally from Antwerp. You have, uh, some of you might know him, Rabbi Slavatitsky of the Chabad Israeli Center in Skokie. So his, his parents are, are the shluchim in Antwerp. Um, so now they've actually moved into a newer, into another building where they have the more typical, it's just like one big room with the mechitza down the middle. But the way it was in the old shul was that it was a room just like this, which was the shul. And then upstairs, there was another room, which was the women. And in the middle of the, floor, of, the, of the room, there was sort of a hole in the ceiling with a wall around it. And you were, with that, that was actually directly on top of the bima. So the women were davening upstairs. They couldn't see the men. During laning, they could sort of peek over the wall and see but they could hear everything. And as far as the men were concerned, you were completely oblivious to the fact that there was any women. And uh, personally, you know, like in one of the letters of the Rebbe, there's many letters and different things from the Rebbe about mechitzas in all different situations. But the Rebbe writes like, he quotes this Lavush, where the Lavush says that nowadays people are, uh, quote, immune to this because we are exposed to women all the time. And the Rebbe says that it's evidently not the case. Um, unfortunately, the Rebbe writes, but the Rebbe says that there, you see, the fact is that the reason for mechitza for davening is because davening is a time when you're supposed to be focused on davening and talking to Hashem, and any distractions are out of place. The Rebbe says you're not even, the Rebbe references there, compares this to the halacha, that you're not allowed to kiss a child in shul. There's nothing, there's nothing inappropriate with kissing a child, but it just doesn't belong in shul, because in shul you're supposed to be focusing only on Hashem. So there's nothing inappropriate, if I'm to paraphrase, the Rebbe doesn't say these words, but to paraphrase, there's nothing inappropriate with sitting next to your wife or sitting in the same room as women. But davening is not the time for that. Davening, we're supposed to create, as it is, you know, the halacha is, it says it in the, it says it in the siddur. If you open the, the siddur before Shemun it says before the Amidah, you're supposed to clear your mind from any thoughts that are not absolutely fixated on davening. 
So it's a difficult enough job as it is, especially in the fast-paced world we live in today. It's a difficult job. So if there's no, if if the if if the opposite gender are completely out of sight, sight out of mind, then it's a easier thing. And I, I mean, I dive an answer for, uh, as a child, but that, like in my mind, that was like you know, this was the shul. There was no, there, there were no distractions. That's uh that's um that's obviously the the um, the, the the most extreme way of doing mechitzah and shul. Now, like I said, historically shuls always had mechitzahs or separate rooms for the women, but there doesn't seem to be any documented sort of literature or a source or like why, what, when, until in very recent history where other denominations of Judaism decided to abolish the mechitzah, and then it became a question, hold on a second, who said you need a mechitzah? Why do you need a mechitzah? How, how, how tall does a mechitzah need to be? How thick does a mechitzah need to be? So really the first um, the first source that sort of deals with this head-on is the very famous Pesach from contemporary times, Ramosha Feinstein, in letters that he started, it's a whole series of letters that he started writing um, I think in the 40s, where he was posed the question um, about the shul, who wanted to, who took away the mechitza, who wanted to take away the mechitza, and sort of, why do you need a mechitza? Says who? Says what's the source for this? And how big does the mechitza need to be? How thick? Is it? All these questions. And basically, if you to review the response of the various rabbis over the last few decades, over the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you'll see that Essentially, there are um, a number of different opinions as to what this is all about. Um, and they all lead back, and this is clear also in the, in the, in, from the Rebbe's letters and answers about mechitzas, that the Rebbe understands that the source for the requirement of having a mechitza by davening in shul is from this story in the Gemara in Sukkah by Simchas Beis HaSheva. That that's, again, I, I can't say that I could directly point to how a, a very clear sort of this equals that. Why does the fact that the, they were celebrating and dancing by the Simchas Sheva mean that therefore there must, that, I mean, davening in shul is not exactly the same as that. But that seems to be the way the Paschum understand it, that the story that they had to have the Mechitza, the balcony um, in the Beis HaMikdash, that is the source for um, for the idea of having of requiring a mechitza in shul. Now, um, and Moshe wants to argue that it's even, it could even be a biblical prohibition to have a shul without a mechitza because he says he argues and he gets he ties himself in knots over there. But he, he he tries to argue that if it would not be a biblical prohibition, then they would not have been allowed to add to the structure of the temple. And this fact that they had this whole reference with the eulogy that they had the different families separate says that would have only been good enough excuse to add to the structure of the temple if there was a biblical prohibition to do so. That seems to be a das yachid. I don't think that's the um, uh, common opinion that it's a biblical prohibition to have a shul without a mechitza. Um, but uh, al certainly that is the Gemara and Sukkah seems to be the source. Now, um, the question is, what is the purpose of the Mechitza? And what is the purpose of the Mechitza will also dictate to us 
what is the nature of the mechitza? How tall, how thick does it need to be? So essentially there are two or maybe three opinions as to what the mechitza is. One opinion is, hold on, the first opinion which Ramosha Fanchin seems to, uh, uh, to take on, hold on, There you go. Yeah, there's basically two opinions, but we'll see soon that there's a that there could be split into three. The first opinion of Moshe is that the point of the mechitza was in order to avoid kalusresh, in order to avoid frivolous behavior, there has to be um, a mechitza between men and women. The second opinion is that. It had, the, the point of the mechitza is to uh, to prevent men the men being able to see the women, and this gets into a lot of the intricacies of the sugya and sukkah where they built the balcony for the shiva. What exactly the different opinions of exactly what was going on before they built it, where it says the men were the inside, the women were outside. What does it mean inside and outside? Was the problem just that they were they were they were interacting in a frivolous way, or was the problem merely that they could see each other? Also, when you talk about how the balcony was designed. Was the balcony designed in a way that it ran around the perimeters of the Ezdusnashim and they could not, um, and, and, and so the women were up there, the men were here, so they could still see each other, but there was no interaction? Or was the balcony built in a way, as the Rambam in one place seems to indicate in Perish Amishnayas and the Tesis Rid and others, that the balcony was built in a way that they could not see each other? Um, now, Ramosha, Ramosha argues that it's good enough that they couldn't, that, that, that it's just there to, he, he says that there was no Issa to see each other. It was merely an Issa prohibition to, 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 it was done to prevent frivolous behavior. And therefore in translating that into how tall does the Mechitza need to be in a shul, he says it's good enough if it's shoulder height. Um, because he says he doesn't, he doesn't have a problem with the men and women stand up and they could see each other. There's no problem seeing each other. But if there's a Mechitza, that's shoulder height, that sort of, Prevents kalashra, she says. And in the later trivia, he even allows that the top part of the mechitza could be of, of two-way glass, you know, regular glass, where you could see through, as long as there's a separation. Now, it's possible that Ramosha would even allow uh, glass mechitza floor to bottom. I don't know. And he, he was asked about a specific situation. Is it okay if we do glass for the top part? That was a design they wanted to do, and he allowed it. Um, and he, he was of the opinion that was good enough to prevent any sort of frivolous behavior. Um, or, but uh, or perhaps a better word would be flirtatious behavior. Um, but the other opinion, and this is the opinion which the Rebbe takes on in a number of different letters, we see the Rebbe takes this opinion, that actually the point of the Mechitza, and this is also the point of the balcony in the Beis Mikdash, was so that they should not be able to see each other. And therefore, the mechitza has to be built in a way that it is has to be taller. That when the men and women stand up, that the mechitza first of all. So then, so first of all, the mechitza has to be taller. Uh, I don't know if you say exact uh, height, five and a half feet, six feet, whatever. It has to be high enough that when the men and women stand up, you cannot see over uh, the mechitza, and uh, and it has to also be thick enough that you can't see through it. So obviously, you wouldn't be able to have part of it being glass. Um, now, um, for example, over here, the mechitzas you have here, so exhibit A, we have uh, somebody standing on the other side of the mechitza, and looking from where I am right here, I could very clearly see him, and I could see who it is, 
And uh, personally, I think that uh, it would be better if we had uh, the curtains of the Mechitza a little over here should be bunched up a little bit tighter. And um, it, it depends on the lighting. It's not just on how thick the curtain is. It has, depending on the lighting. And I think that, um, again, there's no women these days on Shabbos, but uh, pre-corona, I think that I sort of tried it out once, that you could, ironically, you could see from this side onto the women's side much better through the curtain, much better than you can from the women's side into the men's side, just because of the way the windows are and the lighting is. So um, ideally, it should be done in a way that you should be able to see through at all. Um, by the way, just just to point out that Rav Moshe is making two, there's, there's two assumptions, and you could take one without the other. He's assuming that the point of the mechitza is to avoid frivolous behavior, and he says, therefore, it's good enough if the mechitza is shoulder tight. And the Rebbe says, no, the, and others, many people say, no, the point of the mechitza is to avoid um, being able to see each other, and therefore, um, uh, therefore, it has to be above the, above the, the height of the people. You could take one without the other. In other words, you could say that, no, the point of the mechitz is to avoid frivolous behavior or flirtatious behavior, but yet in order to avoid that, you need to not be able to see each other because you could wink to each other and do all sorts of, um, there, could, there can be flirtatious behavior, arguably, with a glass mechitz or with a mechitz that doesn't completely cut, right? So the, the, the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, also, there's a, um, there's a, there was a, There's a Rabbi Bagamilski who um, who was asking the Rabbi about uh, having a mechitza of um, glass. Um, what's it called? Uh, tinted glass, but sort of from where you could see from the women into the men, but you can't see so clearly back from the men into the women. You can see a little bit, and the Rabbi doesn't like it very much. And but he said to the Rabbi, "But what do you mean? That's how you. That's how it is in 770." And among other things, the rabbi said that in 770, the women are much higher than the men. So it's, it's in other words, the rabbi basically says that the type of mechitza that they have in 770, where it's the dark glass, which is not so amazing because you could see through it, but the rabbi says that's okay if the women's, like we call it the gallery, right? If it's elevated like a balcony where it's, you're down here, you have to go like this and you could see through the glass versus when it's side by side with a, two, with a one-way glass, I guess you would call it, where in that case, the Rebbe says it would not be good enough um, because you could still, because why would it not be good enough? Presumably because it's tinted glass, but you still can see through it. So again, talking about the thickness of these curtains over here, I think it, it should be more, we're next to each other, we're on the same level. So really the thickness of the curtains should be certainly darker and thicker than would be tinted windows, right? So, and um, I don't know how tinted is tinted. There's probably different levels of tint and, and whatever it is. Um, now, I also should point out that even though there's a, there's a chiyu of mechitza for davening, if there is a, Rav Moshe writes about this, that if there is a, 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 a case of a kroi, meaning a, a um, not a fixed situation, a one-off or a temporary one-off situation, a woman comes into the man's shul or something like that, or it's not a shul, it's just a one-off, you know, you're davening, you're, you're making a minion on a trip in an amusement park. So then you have to daven in a place where you can't see um, inappropriate things, but just the fact that there's women there, if they're dressed as if it's not a fixed place to daven and a fixed place to shul, 
um, then, then that's not a problem. And Ramosha writes that back in the old country, it was very common for women to come into shul to collect tzedakah. Right? So nobody says, oh, you know, nowadays that would never pass. What do you mean? Yeah? <laughs> but, uh, but he says it was very common for women to come into shul. And he also says it was common for women to come into shul to say Kaddish. They would stand in the back and say Kaddish. We're not getting into the whole subject of women saying Kaddish nowadays. But I think that even today in the modern Orthodox world, it's somewhat common for women to say Kaddish, certainly if they don't have brothers, if the if the deceased didn't have any sons. And so they, so, so it, for whatever, I mean, they could stay in the women's side and say whatever it is, but the custom was, and actually there's, um, before Corona, there used to be, there was this uh, minion downtown in Mark Gallo's office, a Mincha minion, where he sometimes used to go to give a class there. And for a long time, there was a woman who would come every day and she would stand sort of at the door, but, you know, no mechitza, and she actually for, for the davening part, you couldn't see her. She would sort of stand behind the wall. But then at the end, she would come and stand sort of in the doorway and say, Kaddish, and Ramosha says, that's perfectly fine. That's not a violation of the mechitza. By the way, another important point with the whole mechitza and not seeing through the mechitza is, um, is, 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 is the halachas of tzniyas, because the halacha is that you're not allowed to say, regardless of mechitza, even in private, in the privacy of your own home, you're not allowed to say a bracha or a, a um, or any anything of holiness in front of what's halakhically considered erva. Practically speaking, a any part of a woman's body that is supposed to be covered, her arms, her legs, whatever it is, if it's uncovered, you can't say a bracha in front of it. And also a woman who has a married woman whose hair is uncovered. Now, so what do you do if you have somebody sitting at your Shabbos table who's not covering your hair? How do you say Kiddush? So, or who has short sleeves? So, without getting into too much of a, a tangent, uh, you, you, we basically rely on the opinion that, e that even though it's within your field of view, if you turn away or close your eyes, then it's okay. So some opinions hold it has to be that it's nowhere within sort of your horizon. But we, you know, we, we live in a world, the world that we live in. So we rely on those opinions that say, as long as you're not looking at it. So if you have somebody at your table who's not dressed this, so then when you make Kiddush, make sure you either close your eyes or turn away and, and or you look at the Siddur in a way that you can't, uh, you can't see them. Now, uh, so that's some, again, that's not ideal. The Al-Tarebbe brings both opinions. But what do you do in a shul? So again, if you, ha if you have a, quote, a Ramosha Mechitza, which is a Mechitza that's only to shoulder height, then you have all the women standing up and they're not covering their hair. Then you have a bigger problem because now all the people in shul, so you have to look away. But that's even even looking away is not ideal. Ideally, you should not be anywhere within your field of vision um, to have women with uncovered hair. And certainly, if there's if there's other parts of their body that are the, the arms or whatever that are exposed in a way that you could see it. Certainly, if you have again, Ramosha allows even for the top part of the mechitzah to be of glass, and you could see the you know women have their shoulders or their arm or whatever it is exposed. So then, it, it's, so it, it, sort of as an aside from the whole chiv of mechitzah. Um, that's another issue, which is another reason which uh, the Rebbe in one of his letters points out that um, another, an additional reason why it's important to design the Mechitza in a way that the women are not visible at all um, to the men. Um, now, there's a lot of discussion as to what to do in going into another shul like what, what what i'm not the rabbi of this shul i'm not i'm not even a member but my friend of mine is making a bar mitzvah and his shul is built in a way 
What? Right. Or even worse, there was, there was um, uh, the, uh, Rav maybe, there was some Pesach, I think it's Rav Henkin, who allowed even less than Ramosha, maybe even Tent Fachim, just, uh, right? So what do you do? And also, what about galleries? Like, even even, even locally here, Yeshurun, which is uh, very from Shul, but their, their, their women's section is a gallery, like, a, you know, balcony, but there's no... There's no mechitza, right? In 770, it's a balcony, but there's also the tinted windows. Over there, you could, if you're sitting here, so the, there, in Yeshurun, the, the men's seats are all facing the front. So you sort of have to turn your body around to, to, to say, but uh, there's also shuls. I remember in, growing up in England, you have all the United Synagogue. It's done, the, men's, the, men, the men are facing this way. You're, you're sort of facing north and south, right? And the, so you have to sort of go, put your head down not to see the women because... The way your vision works is naturally the horizon goes higher and higher. So if you're sitting on one side of the shul, automatically you're going to be seeing all the women over there. So, you know, what's the, is, is that allowed? Um, and am I allowed to dominate such a shul? Um, certainly when it comes to a, a shul that's not orthodox, the accepted psak amongst all rabbonim nowadays is that it's forbidden to, so it's forbidden to daven there, and Lachera even forbidden to enter the sanctuary of such a reform or conservative uh, temple. Um, but there does seem to be room to allow somebody to daven at least temporarily, uh, meaning not to make that his place of davening, but to daven once in a while. You need to daven in a place where, uh, where as long as it's as long as there is some halachically valid opinion that says that's a valid mechitza, um, then there, there's room to be lenient to daven there on a one-off. I remember I one time was davening in this shul in, uh, I think it was in the five towns, where it was, it's like you have, the, the men and women are literally right next to each other, and there's a wooden mechitza, you know, till about three, four feet off the ground, and then till here is glass, and it's like, you, it, 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 it didn't, the mechitza was designed very well so that when you were sitting in the men's section, it didn't feel at all like there was a mechitza. So, you know, it's a, it's a tricky situation. And certainly, ideally, you should not daven in such a shul. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but ideally, you should, uh, um, we should, that should be avoided. Okay. Um, I hope this, uh, obviously, you can imagine there's a lot more. Uh, details to go into, but I hope this does provide a good overview of the whole sugya. And thank you again, Rebab. Chazal should have an aliyah, and he should have matzachas for his children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. And um, look forward to seeing you again all next week.